I like the concept of, of overcoming fear spoken through different languages, and that's really what we're going to be talking about in this series, this series called Fearless. I want to say hi to Maple Grove and to Spring Lake Park and those that are watching online. We've got a growing group of people that watch our, our services online now. And I want to encourage everyone, no matter where you're considering this concept today, I want you to consider that you and I have the potential of being something more than we are today, tomorrow, if we can conquer our fears. Something is good around the corner. And if not, fear has a way of crippling us. It's a debilitating type of emotion that creeps in. There's so many different fears that are out there. There's uh, arachnophobia. Anybody know what that is? Fear of spiders. There's ophidophobia, the fear of snakes. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. 5% of the general population has that fear. There's agoraphobia, the fear of open or crowded spaces. Cynophobia, the fear of dogs. Astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. Claustrophobia, the fear of small pa- uh, spaces like elevators, small rooms, other enclosed spaces. Or germophobia, how many have heard of that? You can see those people today, they're not too close to anybody else in the sanctuary. Fear can move in at an early age and it can stay. It can move in as if it's a permanent resident in our heart or our life. And it can control us. What is fear? At the core of every fear is the question, what if? If a spider came, what if? And you feel the what if. It's feeling the emotion of what may or may not happen before it happens. It's feeling that emotion. Charles Spurgeon made a quote famous. He said, anxiety or fear does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strengths. That's exactly what it does. It brings it into today and there's no resolution. It prevents people from becoming everything that they could possibly become. It's killed more dreams than actual failure ever will. In fact, fear makes us less of a person than we could be. It makes us feel powerless and insecure and erratic. Now, what does the Bible have to say about fear? What does the Bible have to say? I want you to look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I'll go to another passage in a few moments, but I want you to circle this verse, if you could, or underline pieces of it, because it's fundamental to what we'll talk about throughout this series as you gather together, not only in services on Sunday morning or in a connect group this week, as you get together, this is going to be an important verse. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. In fact, read that out loud with me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and and self-discipline. The New Living puts the word fear and timidity together. Some other versions only just say fear. Because the core word of that, the root word, is the word uh, neuter, is to cut off the power. It's actually to prevent something from being what it could be. It's to have the capacity to become something, but to have it cut off for some reason. Fear steps in somehow, and it snatches the future away from what is possible. In fact, turn to the person next to you right now and just say, hey, there's more possible with you. Timidity, though, it, 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 it's, it's, it's kind of 
It's, it's like a wet blanket on a fire. It, it steps in and it prevents us from being something. Uh, when I was in high school, my junior year of high school, we were the number one football ranked team in the state of Michigan. And I remember I was the starting right guard and we were feeling pretty good about it. We were, we were, we were sailing through the season. We had a couple miraculous wins and then we blew out a couple teams. And we reached the last regular season game and we had to go drive up north. We got a coach bus. We went north to a city called Traverse City, Michigan. And as we went up there, we were the number one team in the state, feeling really confident, partying on the bus. And then we got there, and two and a half hours north, they had already had snow, and it was piled up six feet around the football field, and the stands went above that. It was this massive football stand. And this whole county went to this high school. They only had one high school, so they had five or 6,000 students at the high school. It was a massive school, and they had a big, long, illustrious his history of having amazing football players who went off to Division I scholarship offers and everything else. And so we got up there. We're the number one team in the state. But I'll, I'll never forget, as we came onto the field for the game that day, it was as if there were 10,000 people around us, voices of the Vikings of the North or something. And I'll, I'll never forget, I got down in my stance for my very first play, and I looked up, and there's a six foot three, 265-pound guy across from me, and he had a beard. <laughs> and as I looked up, I just went... <laughs> Uh, my confidence went down and the fear went up. And my whole team felt the same way. We went into halftime and we were losing by about 10 points. And I remember our football coach was not a Christian and he was not using Christian language in the locker room either. <laughs> he ripped us a new one. But basically what he was saying was, you guys, you're not even playing up to what you're, who you are. You've lost it. It's like you got scared. And he said, go back to being the team you were before, the potential that you had, what you've shown on the field. Don't be afraid. Of course, we went out, we won the game, and it was awesome. We won the game, then we lost our first playoff game after that, so that was the end of the year. But here's what I want you to catch. Instead of feeling that sense of timidity, we need to overcome. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy that God gives us an exchange. Instead of the fear and the timidity, he'll give us power and love and self-discipline. When a, uh, you feel powerless, you don't take risks. You don't perform like you need to. You feel powerless. So the Bible says instead of that, he'll give you power. He'll give the ability to be strengthened in the middle of what may be fear. Instead of, of feeling uh, unwanted or unloved, he'll give you love. When you feel unloved, you do stupid things. I watched teenagers for years as a youth pastor, and, and some, people, some of these teenagers were doing stupid things with their body. They were taking drugs. They were, they were giving their body up to people that they shouldn't have ever given their body up to. But part of it was because they felt unloved. And when they felt unloved, they were chasing love in all the wrong places because at least they got acceptance for a few seconds. But in reality, what... What I knew is, and as I preached the word of those teenagers was, is that God loves you, and when you're unconditionally loved and you're secure, you don't have to step out and do stupid things. Okay? So he'll give you power and love and self-discipline. Self-discipline is the ability to say no to some things and yes to the right things. When you're in fear, you stop doing what you should be doing. And so the Bible says that your God 
has not, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power and of love and a self-discipline. That's what the series is all about in becoming fearless, is moving away from timidity and moving towards the strength and the power and the love and the self-discipline that Jesus has offered. And no matter what your fear is, by looking at Jesus and facing your fear, you can become fearless. So some of us in here who have not taken the next step because we have a fear of failure, you need to know through Jesus you can take your first step. You can be who he's called you to be. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Today I've got a boat on the platform because I want to preach it as if I'm in the boat with, with the disciples. And uh, I, love, I love the scripture, but sometimes it helps to bring the scripture into the feeling and the emotion of the moment. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And while he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. Let me just stop right there. They're in a boat. The waves are going. The boat is rocking. The sounds are crazy. And they are feeling overwhelmed. And then it says... Jesus walks toward the disciples. He walks toward them. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, verse 26, in their fear. And they cried out, it's what? It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. He says, Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, it says in here that Peter and the rest of the disciples were in the boat and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, you're like, no, duh, they could have sunk. The water's coming over the edge and the sounds of the the wind are coming at them. And it's just kind of changes the feel when you hear the sound of the wind, doesn't it? And the crackling of the thunder. And you're just feeling like it's just getting whipped up and it's overwhelming you know what the disciples and Peter they're just like us we we get into our life and things get busy and hectic and one thing after another happens now all of a sudden everything gets amped up you guys know what I'm talking about and it gets amped up and amped up and you're like I can't take it anymore They're feeling this, and right in the middle of that, Jesus walks toward the disciples when they're in fear. I want you to catch something. In the middle of the noise, 
in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the waves, Jesus walks toward them. All right, go ahead and put the noise down. (laughs) Doesn't that feel different now? It feels different when the noise goes away, doesn't it? Feels a little more calm. You're not straining to hear what I'm saying. And it's because you're focused in on something else. You're not wild-eyed and noticing eight different things at once. You're just hearing me. With Jesus, they're in the middle of their pain and worry and frustration and fear and the noise and the sound and the rocking right in the middle of it. That's when Jesus comes toward them. And I want you to hear me today. If you have fear or you're going through difficult stuff, Jesus walks toward you. He doesn't walk away from you. You might wonder where he is. He's coming toward you. And sometimes when we're in the middle of chaos, we misdiagnose what's really going on. We think God's abandoned us, that he's nowhere near us, and we're overwhelmed. And we might think of him as a ghost. We might misidentify Jesus. Jesus is actually coming toward them. Uh, Jody and I, in our first year of marriage, <laughs> we, uh, we went to Michigan. And while we were in Michigan, I think I can stand up in this thing. While we were in Michigan, uh, we had been married just for a month or two, and my mom and dad had this uh, wedding reception planned for us for all my family and friends that were in Michigan. So Jody and I packed up everything in Minnesota, drove out there, had a hectic couple days, hardly slept at all. I mean, I was sleeping like two hours. I drove through the night through uh, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, up through Wisconsin, the longest state in the world, it felt like, and just to get to Minnesota. And we got back, and our apartment had gone through a storm. They had a, a severe thunderstorm had gone through, and there was leakage in our apartment. We are on the third floor, walked into our bedroom, and the floorboards were two feet off the ground and, and warped. And uh, we called uh, all the, the management. They said, yeah, we know. Sorry about that. They're going to get it fixed in a couple days. It's unsafe to walk in your bedroom. We're like, we're not going to do that. So we had to sleep in the living room. And, and we went into the living room, slept that night. But somewhere in the middle of the night, I was so fatigued, so out of it, that uh, something started happening. I started dreaming, and the floorboards were moving. And somehow, I don't know if it was snakes or something in it, I was, I was in my dream, something was going on, it was moving. And I know you guys have never had dreams like this or anything. And so I am, you know, I'm six foot two, and uh, I'm Jody's great defense, and I'm her security guard, I'm her strong power of tower in the hour of need, right? But she wakes up to see me freaking out. I had jumped up, ran into the bathroom, jumped on top of the toilet. And I was going, ah, like this. I'm, I'm still asleep, mind you. And, and then I run out of the bathroom and I go into the kitchen and I'm, I'm on top. I get on a kitchen chair and I start jumping up and down and going like this. And Jody looks and she sees this and she's freaking out and she doesn't know what to do. So she, she just runs up to me, grabs me around the waist and she starts jumping up and down and screaming right along with me. And then I woke up somewhere. I banned her from tearing that story for about five years. 
How many know that life circumstances affect our perceptions? I was so wiped out and tired that I had set myself up for not good sleep, okay? I had run to the edges. And real life had bleeded into my dream life, and I didn't know what reality was. Now, I ended up sleeping the rest of the night. I was fine. But sometimes when we don't have enough sleep, little fears become magnified. I often will say that the difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep, right? And we get involved in the wind and the waves, and it overwhelms us. And we just can't even make sense of what's going on. And it's important for us to recognize Jesus is walking toward us. And then it says, Jesus said this, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Did you know that Jesus is right there with you and he speaks to us? Not only does he walk up to us, but he says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And then they're in the boat. He tells them not to be afraid, to take courage, I am here. And Peter is sitting in the boat, and he's got a new vision. He starts looking out, and he sees Jesus. He hears Jesus' voice, and he decides to get up. And he decides, I don't want to stay in my boat of fear any longer. I want to take the next step. And the compelling vision of seeing Jesus, he says, Jesus, I want to walk to you on water. And Jesus says, yep, come on. And he jumps out and he gets out of the boat. Not the way I'm doing it right now, but he got out of the boat. And he starts walking on water. It's an amazing story because Peter did something nobody's ever done before. He walked on water. Some people are like, yeah, but he started sinking. Yeah, but he walked on water. The only way we walk on water in Minnesota is in the winter when it's frozen. He walks on water, and not only does he do that, but as he gets going, his vision brought him to a point of risk. He would have not jumped out of the boat without Jesus being there, but because Jesus was there, he took the risk to take the next step. And if you're going to overcome your fears, you're going to have to overcome your fears by seeing a vision of Jesus helping you to take a risk out of the boat that you've been in. He left one fear of the boat sinking because of that vision. And vision can bring you to the point of risk, moving forward even if the fears could still be realized. Peter asks Jesus if he can join him. Most people want Jesus to get in their boat in the middle of a storm. But Peter wanted to join Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus just to join me. I want to join Jesus in what he's doing. Jesus was walking on water, which was normal to him, but it was supernatural to us. And the supernatural becomes possible when we are willing to leave the boat and pursue Jesus. That's when it becomes possible. Peter walks on water, then until what happens? He begins to notice the waves and the wind again. His attention drifted away from Jesus. He starts sinking. Peter calls out to Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him and brings him back into the boat. And the wind and the waves stop. So why did Jesus let the storms rage? Can I encourage you today to not focus on the why of the storm? Who knows? There's lots of different theologians out there that have different 
speculations about why Jesus, why did Jesus let the storm rage? Well, he wanted to set him up for a miracle or whatever else. We don't know that. In fact, if all you're looking for is the why of the storm, you're going to miss the point, and the point is to look at Jesus. See, the point is Jesus is our focus, and if we see him and stop theologizing why of the storm, we could recognize our way through the storm. We can see that he has something for us in the middle of the storm. Today, as we launch into this whole series, I want you to understand that we're gonna to have to walk through a process if we're gonna become fearless. We're gonna to have to recognize our fears, but then we're gonna to have to face them, and we face them by looking at Jesus, who enables us to get out of the boat and move into new territory. We're gonna to have to face the fear with vision, a picture of something's possible. We're gonna to need to get out of the boat. We're gonna to need to train ourselves to focus on Jesus when the fear creeps up. We're gonna to need to recognize that fear is not bigger than God. Come on, somebody. And not only is fear not bigger than God, you're in a community of people who believe in a big, big God too. That you're not alone. That's what these connect groups are all about. We're here to cheer each other on. And then we need to trust Jesus over everything else. When you recognize a vision of Jesus, that's why we read the Bible. That's why we talk about the stories of the scripture. That's why we pray. When we begin to focus in on him, that's why we worship. Then what happens is we are, have an opportunity to move beyond the fear because of the power that Jesus gives us. Instead of being cut off from the power, he gives us a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. To help me with this today, uh, I, I'm going to have Jody come on up. Why don't you come up? Jody, my wife, just a few weeks ago, she was talking about something that God was speaking to her in her own heart and life. And uh, in a practical way, she really has something that I think will help us understand how we become fearless in a practical way. And of course, I didn't give her the option of whether or not to share it today. So she has to be fearless by sharing the word. Would you give it up for Jody? Thank you. The Lord dropped this verse in my heart. I want to share it with you today. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And like I said, if several weeks ago, the Lord dropped this verse in my heart. And it was just, you know, I got up in the morning and I was just doing housework and things like that. And this verse just came to me. And I knew that I needed to take some time and pray about it and just meditate on the scripture. So I grabbed my journal and I sat down and I thought about it. And I really felt like the Lord encouraged me to jot down all of the things that I was worried about, all the things that I was thinking about or things that, yeah, that I was concerned with. And so I thought, well, I'm not really much of a worrier, I didn't think, but I'll do it. So I started jotting things down, kind of brainstorming. I had the big things and the small things. And in a few minutes, I had about three pages of things in my journal, things like have I done a good enough job being a mom? And now that I have a 21-year-old, is he going to make all the right choices? And am I going to come to church someday and find this building empty? Uh, do we have enough for finances in the checkbook? And what about the Hello Possible pledge? What about the violence in our world and the terrorism threats and all these things I just began to jot down? And I thought, wow, I had all that in me? 
Then I felt like I needed to read that verse again. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And I realized for the first time that my worry was in direct disobedience to God's word. And I began looking at that list and I began repenting. Lord, forgive me for not trusting in you and forgive me for worrying about all these things. But the scripture didn't just tell us not to worry. It said, instead, pray about everything. Everything? Every single thing. Now, a lot of times it's hard for us to even find 10 minutes to pray or, you know, 10 minutes of things to pray about. But if we begin to pray about everything, we can, we can fill our prayer time for sure. You know, this uneasiness that we have in our hearts, that's, that's that anxiety. And so often it's easy for us to medicate it with us. Medicate it with like a bag of chips or a Diet Coke or a cell phone. I left my phone at home, I think, today. I can't find it. But it's been like one of the best Sundays ever because I'm not like checking notifications. I'm not worrying if my kids are here or not or if they found me. Because I'm like, I, I wouldn't even be able to know I don't have my phone. So we don't need to worry about anything, but instead, pray about everything. Next, we need to tell God what we need. Lord, I need your peace. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me to be the mom that my kids need. I need you, Lord, to provide for our finances. And we began to tell God what we need, and I did that that day. Then the last part of that says, thank him for all that he's done. And that's when really things really began to change in my heart. I began to say, thank you, Lord, for giving me great kids. Thank you, Lord, for placing me at Emmanuel. Thank you, Lord, for providing for our Hello Possible pledge all, already. Thank you, Lord, for providing for our finances. And what I began to realize is, as I looked at all my list of the things that I was worried about, it didn't even make sense. It wasn't even true to the things that God has already done. So when we're thankful, we speak the truth about our circumstances, and it stirs up our faith. Faith and fear can't coexist. So right after this whole moment devotional, I had this word picture that God just dropped in my mind, and I'm going to share it with you. So one of the things that our family does, and I don't know if, I'm sure you guys probably do this too, but when we go to the store, whether it's Walmart or Target or whatever, it's so fun to get the plastic bags. And so my kids and I kind of have this thing where we try to see if we can get all of the things in from the house in one trip. And so I brought some bags so you can kind of picture this. But I, you know, oh, gotta get it. It's so nice to have these hooks you can put on your arm, so handy. So you can carry quite a bit when you get these bags. So I don't know, if you pick paper, you might want to try plastic because this is pretty cool. <laughs> so if you, um, you know, so we try to get everything from the vehicle in one trip. Oh, no, I got it. I got it. Thanks, honey, though. I got this by myself. <laughs> it's kind of part of the challenge, you know. It's kind of fun. So then you can get like eight things on one arm and stuff. And, and the Lord, I, I just began to see a picture of this. And the Lord's like, you know, so often, you know, my kids will come and say, Mom, can I help you? Just like Nate did. He, you've trained the kids, right? And I'll go, no, I got it. Well, you know, because if I give them anything, I'm going to lose my balance. Or, you know, you get, you get the twin pack of milk. And so they're come on, Mom, let me help you. No, I really got it. Okay, so let me, if I give you this, I'm going to drop a jar of pickles. So maybe I can, okay, maybe, all right, I can give you this one. And then, then we just let you know, our kids or our husband, help us just to make them feel good, kind of like a tip. And then we got the rest, you know, like I got, it would make, 
them feel good about helping me and then I feel good about letting them help me and we all just kind of feel good and I can make it all in one trip. And the Lord spoke to me. He goes, that's what you do to me. I want it all. We're supposed to carry everything. And you're like, wait a minute, Lord. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the stuff that I'm worried about at church, but I'm pretty good with budget, so I'll, I'll do the finances. Okay, oh, yeah, I can give you that one. And my, my kids, I mean, I remember leaving, you know, and dedicating my kids at the altar at church, but I, I, I kind of, I like this mom thing. I'll carry this one. And God's like, no, I want every single thing. And then the Lord showed me 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He carries for you. He carries for you and for me. And what happened the next morning, I had to get up and I had to look and I had all those bags again. I'm like, oh. So every day I began to look at my anxiety and my worries as disobedience to the scripture. And then I take all those things that I'm caring about and I let the Lord carry for me. Anxiety is on the rise in America because it, we have unrealized prayers life, prayer life. So we need to cast all our cares and we need to pray about everything and not worry about anything. Then we'll experience what Philippians 4, 7 says. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry, pray instead. When it comes to <clears throat> getting out of your boat and moving toward trusting and praying about everything, it's going to require us to get a vision of Jesus and a picture of him coming toward us and him speaking to us. Don't be afraid. And then we have to make a choice about whether or not we're going to trust him whether or not we're going to release things to him, whether or not we're going to step out of the boat, take the risk of following him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you've walked away from him because you want to run your own life, can I encourage you today? We're going to sing in a moment. Can I encourage you just begin to give your life to Jesus now? Just go, I'm tired of running this. I'm holding the weight down myself. I need Jesus. And this would be a great day. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the opportunity of pursuing Jesus, trusting him with more, believing that he's with you in your storms, believing that he'll walk with you, believing that he'll catch you even if you fall. Because really, we need to overcome the what ifs by believing in the great I am believing that he is there for us. We're going to worship together on both campuses today. Would you stand with me? You do this. Pastor Phil had you do it a little bit ago. Put your hands out like this. I want to have your hands up like you're holding the bags, okay? Just like Jody just had. Is if you've got all those things that you've been holding on to, all right? And it's time for you, as you're ready, to begin to get those bags off and turn them back over to God. 
And as we worship, can I just encourage you to even visually imagine yourself going, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm trusting you. I'm getting out of the boat and I'm believing in you and all that you can do.